Oh, as Odell Abner Dracula. And how did you arrive at that name, too? I'm curious. I mean, I figured Del Dracula oh. from the, the comic, the, you know, from the, what is it, the 60s, yeah. I think it was? Is that related, or how did that come Yeah, back? yeah. Well, I used to, I think, this is a long story short, I used to work as a, what is it, this is a story too long story. <laughs> I was a buyer, I was a comic buyer for a chain of newsstands in the Twin Cities. It was a pretty unique opportunity. And uh, when I didn't go out, you know, to different stores or to somebody's house, somebody's, you know, any storage to buy their collections, we had guys in the store who were authorized to do smaller buys. And I would still have to, you know, at the, in the warehouse, I would kind of sort through these different buys that they would send me. And I'm not a comic book genius and I've not read every comic there is out there, but I feel like I've at least heard about or, you know, been around most of the different stuff that's out there. And one day I was processing a buy and there was a Del Dracula comic in there. And it just floored me because I had no idea. I mean, I knew that they did like the Universal Monsters number one, like a special mm-hmm. Dell published an adaptation of Dracula, but I had no idea that there was a superhero Dracula. And so I sat down in the office when I started reading this thing, and it's just bonkers, you know? It's like this guy, he's a descendant from the historical Dracula, and he's sick of everybody thinking that his family is all mixed up with sorcery and the occult. So he becomes a scientist, you know, that's great. But then, as a scientist, he starts to mess around with bats, you know, so maybe fine, but if you're trying to get away from all that baggage. Why are you going to mess around with all these bats? And I don't even know how they present it in the book, but he basically squeezes this juice out of their bat brains. The bat has got to die from this. And then he drinks it and poof, he has these quote-unquote science-based powers of radar and I don't know, maybe some kind of agility, bat agility. And I just was floored. I couldn't believe someone thought of this. I couldn't believe somebody published it. I couldn't believe it was ostensibly the number two issue after this other draft Dracula number one that was the universal Dracula. I just, I was amazed and astounded. And so I started to build my own, because there's only three issues of it. There's issue two, three, and four. And then they, for some reason, there's no number five. Number six is a reprint of two. Number seven is a reprint of three. And number eight is a reprint of four. I think that's right. It's a lot of math. But anyway, uh, it's crazy. And so I just started to, you know, I really spent a lot of time with that character in my head. Like, what? who would thought this up? And what would his other stories be? And I started to, you know, think like, oh, maybe his name is, you know, Odell, because then now you tie in the, the word Dell. And I think that uh, some kind of like, uh, in like a linguistic way, the word Odell has something to do with the word purple somehow. I can't remember why I chose that, but there was a couple of reasons and I made it all make sense in my head. And then probably just, forgot. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's how meaningful it was. But anyway, I just started using it online because, you know, everybody should have better stuff to do than be who they really are online. Indeed. Well, uh, is there anything that we've talked about that you would have a problem with showing up on a podcast? Like, in particular, when you're talking about being a buyer, uh, do you want me to cut any of that stuff out if it uh, so that it's not, like, too much personal information or anything? I think it's probably fine. I mean, nobody nobody's going to, I mean, probably two or three people that I know in real life, I know on the internet, because anybody's going to, you know, put two and two together and go, aha, maybe. But if they do so, what? <laughs> okay. 
but it was i mean i uh yeah i'm my only uh i'm at the crosswords with, with this and with me for vendetta talking about the communion thing i've got a 16 year old son and i'm like he's the he went into his room when he was 10 year old and started playing minecraft and now he's 16 and i think i missed my v for vendetta window with him like is it <laughs> am i is it am i too late to the game or is he and then i'm like oh my god is he even gonna care if he's 16 and he thinks dad is boring and stupid even if you know if dad tries to give you v for vendetta do you go that's boring and stupid mm. i don't know now it's uh tricky waters i gotta navigate <laughs> he tries to get through, he's to, like is this some kind of anonymous thing well, that's what he i'm like it's you know what that is right he's like yeah the guys from anonymous use it yeah well it was a comic before it was a movie so you don't, <laughs> that, you don't have to associate it with them but yeah ruiners. I, yeah i mean that's a different kind of ruiners yeah I, I stopped after what was it it was x2 like i'm done with anything that has ever been a comic book that i like and gets turned to a movie i'm not going to see it because mm. i can't stand them missing the point so bad number one and number two even though i didn't cherish it hugh jackman wolverine is in my head now mm-hmm. and now when i and i read a wolverine comic i hear his voice and like ah, ah. so i'm sure as hell I'm not going to ever see the Watchmen movie. I'm mm-hmm. not going to see anything. And people get, you know, I was working in like, it was after my fame, my fancy comic shop gig. And I was just a comic shop manager at a different store in town. And when Watchmen came out and you know, they were like offended, like I was a, like it, I was a heretic of some kind. Like, I'm not going to see that movie. You know, it would be like me telling the 13 year old version of me, don't buy that Spencer's mug. That's not, <laughs> that's not a good idea. You go, what? Sacrilege. How could you? It's the, it's a movie of the thing you like. It's a coffee cup of Spider-Man. You have to support it. But yeah, I was out until Iron Man and I started to pick and choose except that it could it could be done like they could make a superhero movie that wouldn't make me want to punch the screen <laughs> well I, I always found something to like about all the terrible movies you know there's always something in there where it's like yeah I like that thing they did that thing from the comics where they did this whole new thing but yeah that, that's one of the things that's weird about having superhero and comic book content so dominate the pop culture landscape <clears throat> is there's just so much stuff I've had to let go of. you know it's like it's this yeah. just isn't mine anymore you know this belongs to everybody now and uh, some of this stuff belongs to them way more than it belongs to me so i i can't act like I, i'm the gatekeeper i'm the arbiter of what what's correct and what isn't correct with this stuff uh up to a point obviously there's some things where it's like no that, that like with a religious zeal it's like no i this i grew up with this cap this is my cap thing but how dare you take my cap thing um yeah. but it, uh, there are things that i think that you have to hold on to and then there are things you have to let go of you know and think Figuring, I guess that's part of the, the journey is figuring out, okay, which is which, you know, which is the thing that's just like, uh, you, you've screwed up, you've ruined it. And what is it where it's like, maybe I'm just an old man shouting at the clouds and I need to, to move past my little hangups on this. But also what's great about getting older and having so much of this stuff is I have the right and the privilege to actually just not invest anymore. You know, I can just pick and yeah. choose because there's so much. It's not like my political party is going to lose if I don't show up and vote. It's like that we've already one you know right right it's like okay so i don't have to watch like especially you know in the old days when you literally just had like superman batman a few other guys and you feel like you had to go see the shadow you know or or you're you're failing the team you know it's like it's it's great to have that burden lifted and actually have like big name like you know i still haven't seen wakanda forever i'm probably going to have to because they want to do a recording on it and they're going to be ticked off if i'm not able to bring my own opinions but i was going to be perfectly happy to wait for that thing to stream. I'm really happy that I still haven't seen Love and Thunder because I don't have to and there's nobody who can compel me to do it and I'm not compelling myself to do it anymore. I don't want right. to see it. I'm not going to see it anytime soon. Now, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, despite the fact that I'm sure they're going to screw up Warlock, there's still enough in that trailer where it's like, okay, I'm going to have to go see that in the theater. I can't I can't refuse that. They're in the costumes, dude. That uh, yeah. 
Lila yeah. is there, you know? It's like, I, I've got, I got to see Lila and Rocket get together again. She looks just like the Mignola comics. How could I yeah. refuse that? I got to see that. So, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to pull a page from Fire and Water, you got to find your joy. Yeah, it's uh, the, I was complaining about in Marvel in general, it seems like they can kind of hone in on, if not what made the characters successful for so many years in the comics, of, of at least a facet or a, some dimension of that, right? With like, so like Iron Man and Captain America, the reason those blew my mind so bad is because it's actually, it seems like it was Iron Man and Captain America up there, right? It's those characters. And the thing, I love the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and I, it's not a popular opinion, but I think the second one is a contender for my favorite Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, if you if you listen to us talk about that, we are big boosters of Volume 2. I have not a ton of interest in Volume 1. I haven't revisited it in full since theatrical. And I haven't gone back to 2 either, but I know I'm going to, and I know it's going to be meaningful for me. That movie just speaks to me in a way that most of the Marvel movies don't. You know, the, the whole thing's about absentee fathers, and it's like, okay, well, all of my closest friends <laughs> can speak from that experience, so you know, yeah. it, it's just going to hit different for us. Yeah, and it, that, that's a big part of it. I mean, that's maybe that's the whole part of it. Uh, and James Gunn is, you know, he's great, but the thing that he didn't do with Guardians was he didn't find out why Star-Lord was popular or successful or admired. I mean, maybe because he wasn't popular or successful or admired, but he, he basically reinvented all those guys. You know, Drax, I don't need to tell you, mm-hmm. he's, he's all those guys are totally different. Mm-hmm. And I was lamenting, you know, the Warlock. Like, I know Warlock is going to be in this. I know it's going to be part of that other gold people planet. I know it's going to have nothing to do with anything. I know it's going to, you know, it's the biggest hurdle for me so far with this Marvel stuff. And uh, my friend who used to work in the comic shop, he's like, what do you, what do you, what's your problem? I said, it's, they always make these changes in the movies and then they change the comics to reflect these changes. And it's just, I don't want to have to deal with that with Warlock. I mean, the Rocket Raccoon thing ended up okay. Al Ewing was writing that and it ended up okay. And uh, I don't feel like, you know, I'm not one of these, like, they ruined my childhood, but uh, I'm afraid of what they're going to do to Adam Warlock. And he said, what fantastic untold Adam Warlock story do you think is out there that this is going to thwart? And he said, oh, you're saying there are no fantastic untold Adam Warlock stories out there because people are not dwelling on or living with Adam Warlock like me. He said, yeah, that's what I mean. It's going to, you might get some new ones out of it. The old ones you still have. So deal with it. Well, and you know, that's the problem I had when they brought him back in the nineties is that I thought that that's what I wanted it until it happened. And I realized that everything that was interesting about Adam Warlock was in his being a character of finite existence and, and tormented existence. And when you bring him back and you try to make him uh, see me, you know, cause, you know, like a nor- fairly normal cosmic type guy, he's a snooze and yeah. tons of people have tried to do interesting things with him for 30 years now have any of them succeeded not really uh, and I, that's one of those characters that I'll actually dip back into Marvel after you know swearing him off to a larger reality in the early 90s and so I've dipped in I've checked it out and for the most part they no they, they the, the really great warlock story was already told um, and true. the one thing I will say too about uh, the, the little snippet we see of him in the trailer is that <clears throat> he seems to be an adversarial presence and I do think that Adam Warlock as an anti-hero or outright villain from the perspective of the Guardians of the Galaxy that's a lot more palatable to me than them trying to do to just make him another guy you know oh he's he's the gold silver surfer or whatever right. I have no use for that I'd much rather them give me an ego style twist uh, than the to just try to, you know, prop up the next franchise. Oh, we're going to spend Warlock out of this. And, you know, we're going to get some middling person to, to do that trilogy. It's like, eh, 
you know, if, if you're if he's punching on Gamora, at least there's a shot at this guy being interesting. I don't think he's going to be my guy. I don't think he's going to reflect the comics that I want reflected. I, I right. but I also I don't see Marvel ever doing that stuff because though they're happy right. to do like the the you know somewhat degenerate uh, dysfunctional family stuff with the Guardians, but I don't see them again doing something like the uh, uh, Universal Church of Truth or anything. I don't see mm. them allowing one of their lead characters to commit suicide, temporal suicide, and be a, a, a schizophrenic, depressive, multiple personality disorder sufferer. Right. Uh, so it's like, okay, if they're not going to go there with it, then I, I guess the best I can hope for is him to be an adversarial presence that maybe takes some shot at the concept of a messiah, since that the whole point of him is that he's not the messiah, but he's perceived to be and created to be, um, mm. and he utterly fails at that regard. Um, that's something they could kind of touch on, at least, you know. Uh, so... I'm not, I'm not, that's the one element I'm not particularly hot for, but dude, they, they have space hog in the trailer. You know, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you ever read the, the Greg Peck warlock? We did a podcast on it actually. Oh, you did? That's one of the earliest episodes of the Marvel Superheroes podcast was, was that. It's so weird to me in retrospect, because again, we went into podcasting, not really understanding what we were going to be and what we were going to do. And I had different things in mind that I thought we were going to do that never ended up happening. Never would I have thought that the one episode that we ever did devoted to Adam Warlock would be the Greg Pak miniseries. Oh, that's but, but, crazy. I'm going to have to go look it up. Yeah. That's like episode three, I think, three or four. Uh, oh, it's, wow. it's rough. I'll tell you, it's rough. But we did, you know, it was an interesting miniseries. We did have a, a decent conversation about it. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember. It was one of those things where I was emotionally just like, I hate this when it mm-hmm. came out. I can't stand that this is Jim Starlin's not doing it, and that means I hate it. Mm-hmm. And then it was canceled, and then I think I, you know, I read it out of the quarter bin or something like that, and I was like, oh man, was I wrong? I made a mistake, and I don't remember why now, but I remember thinking, like, I having to go around and tell everybody, I made a mistake. <laughs> I was wrong, which is not the easiest thing to do in a comic store. Sure. Those guys, oh my gosh, you got to nail it the first time, or they hate you forever. But <laughs> yeah, it was a similar situation for me where I didn't think it would be something I would be interested in, and then I went it's at uh, one of the local shops, uh, Bedrock City, and they'd done these little packs that were like quasi trade. Uh, which is something I'd done back in the 90s. Um, and uh, so I picked it up because I figured, you know, especially, I don't, I don't remember if I picked it up before or after we'd started podcasting, but I, I definitely was interested in checking it out. And then having read through it, I realized, okay, so this is a, a revisionist take on the original concept of the character from Fantastic Four. This is them doing him. And then by the end of it, they kind of let you know that you have they haven't screwed up anything. They haven't messed with the continuity. They, this isn't Ultimate Warlock or anything. Right. Um, and so, it, it, like you said, it, it worked for me, but it's also interesting because it's still not Adam Warlock. It's still not the Starlin stuff. Everything. If, it, if you're not doing Starlin, you're not doing Warlock because that's how I'm programmed. So uh, there's a certain distance because it's like, oh, this is him. They, they're not messing with the Starlin stuff. This is him. This is a, this is a different thing. This is the thing that uh, was the prototype for what Starlin did. So yeah. th- that disassociation made it easier for me to enjoy it. But I also got really married to the idea of Adam Warlock being betrayed by an Indian actor and that sure didn't happen <laughs> they, they uh man I've got that I've got the trade of that warlock stuff in my two not my two read but my readable you know not like the stuff I don't care if it gets left in the bathroom or coffee spilled mm-hmm. on it or something I just go fish that out that stuff all that all that stuff is fantastic now are all you that, talking about the Starlin stuff yeah the Starlin stuff yeah. the, oh, the big what was, what was nice about that one is a good chunk of that got reprinted in fantasy masterpieces you can still find those pretty cheap it, it, the main problem is they didn't they have very high print runs so you can get them for nothing 
them, but you, it's harder and harder to find them. Those used to be pretty prevalent in the quarter bins, and now not so much. But also you can find, they did that um, somewhat misguided reprint series in the 90s, where they'd already done the, the Baxter format one in the 80s, and they re-reprinted oh. it just a few years later. And those you can find pretty cheap, too. So if you're just looking for bathroom readers, uh, that's a good way to go to have that material. I might have, because I was a, uh, I didn't always understand what I was getting into. I, like that, I didn't understand I was buying reprints when that came out because that was all like on the heels of Infinity Gauntlet I think where they were like this is this is working again let's put these back that and uh, I couldn't always tell because I think they had did they have new covers yeah yeah that's and one they, of the things that kills me that's what the, I actually didn't buy those because A I already had them like twice over I'd had several of the original issues from the 70s and I had some of the fantasy masterpieces and I had the Baxter reprints so then the fourth dip was a little much for me especially in the early 90s when I had so many other things to buy but it didn't help that the Baxter editions had the great wraparound covers when Starlin was still in his prime and then by the time he does the, the new covers in the 90s they're, they're a single page and it's Starlin after he's let his artistic abilities uh, uh, atrophy because he had stopped drawing regularly around 86 or 87 I think it was and mm-hmm. so you could see that he just he, he never quite recovered the ground that he lost when he just wasn't drawing routinely anymore Yeah, and yeah. so it's like wow these are clearly inferior covers uh, he's obviously not bringing any new insights into this imagery so they're more stock type of images uh, and they're they're not as expansive and they're on worse paper it's like they, they just was too many strikes but again if you're pulling them out of a quarter bin that's a whole different you know scenario yeah it's a whole different uh the stakes are a lot lower mm-hmm. he's a guy uh starlin would be uh cool if kevin nolan inked him i mean everybody would be cool if kevin nolan inked him but that'd be something i would like to see that would have been interesting that that would have been almost like when klaus jansen was inking uh gil kane uh so transformative and one thing honestly I, I love Jim Starlin not great at drawing women and Kevin Nolan could definitely help him with that yeah I mean he could it'd be one of those things where you could say this is for sure Kevin Nolan's heavy hand but it, no one would complain I don't think yeah, that would be cool yeah and I was well, I think it was the was it Moon Knight or something I was looking through a bunch of rampaging hulks and there was one random man thing story that Jim Starlin drew that was all about a trinity of women and it's like you could not have picked a worse guy to draw this damn thing all these women like the little girl looks majorly it's like what are you doing man did he write it too uh no i, th- I think it might have been a mantlo actually oh yeah um so which is another weird combination because mantlo's weirdness is a different weirdness than starlin's weirdness you know yeah yeah it is that's for sure yeah. he uh man i when i found out i mean i had read his stuff before rocket raccoon but when i found out like that was where i looked to see like hey who wrote this and i was like oh my gosh and then i you know you find him in the hulk and spectacular spider-man and i i oh man that guy i think he's pretty underrated i really like him a lot manlo had some problems because there were accusations of like plagiarism and stuff and uh, oh yeah yeah so that that there's an issue there but it, it, it's just like uh, i'm a big defender of stanley because you can there's plenty of things you can accuse him of there's plenty of wrongs that he committed the, the you know if you're one of these team steve you want to be team jack i totally get that but at the same time the, nobody wrote like Stanley, you know, and and his, and he wrote in his very distinctive style across a whole bunch of different artists. So how is it that all those artists were all writing the same kinds of stories? But they weren't because you had a guy who was doing dialogue. There was also that same month dialoguing a western and a teen comedy and a soap opera, and he had a skill set that nobody else, I think, in in writing has. No, nobody ever had to write an entire line of books by themselves uh, and to do it while collaborating with artists that were probably doing the plots but 
he still had to pull it together. And these guys weren't necessarily able to articulate everything they intended to do. And what they intended to do may not have necessarily been what was commercially viable of interest to Stan. So he did a lot of messed up stuff, but that doesn't mean that he wasn't one of the most exceptional comic book writers of all time, regardless of the plot. You know, it's almost like it gets back to like the the, uh, the story we just read. Again, the, the bare bones, maybe Tales of the White Freighter, but what you do with it, the spin you put on it is a, kind of a different beast. Um, right. So so it's the same thing with Bill Mantlo. It's like, I still haven't gotten around to reading it, but I went ahead and I bought Monster, uh, the, the Monsters, the, the Barry Windsor Smith book from Fantasy. Oh, Rangers, yeah. Where he finally yeah. tells a tale that he said that Mantlo ripped off from him and told in, in the Hulk. But the problem is there's been 35 years of Hulk stories built upon that, that material and there's no strong indication that Barry Smith would have ever finished that in a timely fashion. You know, it, it might have come out, you know, 20 years ago instead of 35 years, you know, you know waiting 35 years. But the impact wouldn't necessarily have been there. And also, frankly, Bill Mantlo's a better storyteller than Barry Windsor Smith. I, I've, I've, I love his artwork. I, I, it's a fantastic artwork. And I know that he takes great liberties while he's doing a story that's been provided by somebody else. And a lot of times the, the art, the writer has to be able to kind of go with that. Um, yeah. And, and, but whenever I've read Barry Smith actually writing his own stuff, he's just not at the level of a good writer. He's, he's, he's passable. He's fine. Barry Windsor Smith's storyteller was okay. And I'll read this and hopefully it'll be good. But I really don't think it's going to be as good as what Mantlo and the people who built upon what Mantlo did with the Hulk. You know, I mean, the hell the movies yeah. are based on what Mantlo did. So yeah. whether or not the germ of the idea came from Barry Smith, the ultimate, ex- it, 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 again, getting it out of religious themes, it, depending on who you talk to, it matters what you think, you know, or, or what you consider or what fantasies you have or what, you know, impulses you 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 deny yourself, you know. But yeah. most people will agree that there's some, it's a different level when you do a thing versus when you think about a thing or, or feel, you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There may be a sin in the thought, there may be less in the heart, whatever you want to call it, but really the thing we're most concerned about in this world is what you do materially, what actually exists and impacts upon other people. So it, it's great to have this pristine idea of what Barry Smith would have done for the Hulk if he'd done, finished the damn thing and gotten it published, but Bill Mantley is the one who, who did. And I know yeah. what he did, and I know the impact that it had, and it, it altered the character of the Hulk going forward, and I, I think that that stuff's going to be remembered long after everybody's forgotten about the Barry Smith stuff, regardless of his, his idea, you didn't get it out there, did you? you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I love, I'm actually looking at it across the room right now. I, I think I'm missing an issue or two, but I have the oversized uh, slipcase for those storyteller mm-hmm. and I, I love them. And so he's, you know, Barry uh, Windsor Smith is fantastic, but there is a huge piece of, you know, who did it, you know, like who actually, like I, you, I had an idea for this, uh, but then somebody else did it. Yeah, they're the one who did it. And I think that's wow. more than once, uh, this is a hard, this is me going all the way to the edge of my philosophy and holding the line where I end up defending Rob Liefeld a lot <laughs> because no matter how bad he draws feet or how many did he rip off George Perez when he did X-Force number one or his uh, shaft supposed to be Arsenal you know he those comics got published he drew them and not on time you know I, I concede you know not always to my taste but he made those comics you know and people say well he, he created Deadpool but he didn't really make Deadpool until Joe Kelly and like yes everybody knows that but it still is he made Deadpool is it a ripoff of Deathstroke I, obviously yes but it's he still did it you know it's still out there and you I think that's how he ends up def- trying to defend himself a lot of times is you know he he's the one who did it you know and it, it's one of those things where the people ripping on him including me for years and years 
there's uh you know there's value to that you know you may you not for me you know not for everybody but you know he makes those books you know sometimes like you know the brigade thing i don't know if that's ever going to happen but <laughs> God, he, you know he, yeah, the he, he he does do he did do stuff you know does he still do stuff i don't know but uh it's it's really interesting and i think it's maybe it's more of that funhouse mirror it's like is, is there resentment you know i could draw better than him but do i did i ever you know did i ever put something together and show it to marvel you know no i did not and so who is the better artist i well one of you know between me and life build only one of us is an artist because he's the guy who gets paid to do that stuff but oh uh, well but. it's uh, you look at say x-force versus young blood i think if you look objectively at the characters i think that it and as pure concepts most of the young blood characters are, are the stronger ones but Liefeld didn't get professional writers to help him to do young blood and when i read young blood number one and one of the stories just stops in the middle with a splash two-page spread and and no resolution and the other story is just not that interesting with lesser characters and then you go into the second issue and you get another unresolved badly constructed story you know i'm going to prefer the x-force stuff where they got uh fabian Nicieza to go in there and do a pass at it and make it make sense and and make sure that there's characterization to go with the plotting and do i think that most of those characters are that interesting no but are they better do they have more of a voice and do they have a more interesting story to tell with the help of a professional writer yeah they do and that's why those characters are appearing in motion pictures and the Youngblood characters are not Uh, but also Joe Kelly is another guy where it's like did he do a lot of comic book work yeah did some people like some stuff that he did sure Uh, I know a lot of people will swear swear by something like I kill giants and stuff but not huge sellers Mm -hmm. or anything when would he have decided that he wanted to do a comic book involving the X-Men characters starring a hybrid of Deathstroke and Spider-Man that uh, leans into the humor but give, but makes it darker? You know, w- would he have ever thought to do that on his own? No, he was part of a pro- writing program where they, they let people come in and sort of intern at Marvel. They gave this kid a shot just like they had, gave Ed McGinnis a shot. They had intellectual property that had been proven to have an audience. And so they gave it to these new guys who had a spin on that material that resonated with people they wasn't about a huge seller when they did it but because it influenced the direction of the character that gained traction over the years they helped to create the Deadpool that we know today and most of the material that we know comes from what they did but they never would have done what they did if Liefeld hadn't created a character and showed the viability of that character and alluded to what they ultimately you know ran with the the basis of the character is still there from the very first appearance and I think some of that is also Fabian Nicieza and I know there's been a lot of arguments about well how much credit does Rob Liefeld claim versus how much Fabian Nicieza deserves Nicieza is a guy who's written a number of humor books and has shown a capacity to write that type of material Liefeld has never written anything yeah, remotely right. funny you know check out Blood Wolf and tell me you know um, oh my god yeah so he he wouldn't have Deadpool without Fabian Nicieza but nobody else would have had Deadpool without Rob Liefeld and Fabian Nicieza uh, right and again you got that alchemy of, of a, the character that people respond to came from all of those guys. Whoever created them, you don't get to Ryan Reynolds without going through these other dudes. And so give them all the credit. You know, that's why the Marvel that's movies true. wisely will have a freaking, you know, a, a, a wall, like a memorial to all the people upon whom these films were built, you know, on, a, on their backs. Um, because no, very few characters, like again, you're talking about Matt Wagner. Yeah, Matt Wagner and Grindel, that's a pretty much a single creative 
creative force that you can attribute the, the majority of the appeal of that character to. But also, Grendel ain't uh, um, Deadpool, <laughs> you know? Right. And I know, I know there are people who weigh the literary, you know, qualities of one versus the other and, and which one has more validity. And also, it doesn't hurt that one is still a creator-owned character and one is part of a corporate machine. But ultimately, the character that more people recognize and that has a fan base and that has able been able has maintained that for decades is Deadpool. Um, now, maybe that'll change when they come out with the Grindel TV show, if it ever comes out. Um, but I don't think so. I think that as much as I think there's interesting things that were done with Grindel and that it will resonate with a certain audience, I don't think it's ever going to be Deadpool. And right. I might like Grindel more than Deadpool, but everybody knows that my tastes are not the mainstream. They are not the majority. And an argument could certainly be made for just the sheer volume of material written about Deadpool for a character to maintain his vitality over the course of that. I mean, you look at Matt Wagner and Grindel, the Hunter Rose is not in that many stories, you know? And then Christopher right. Barr isn't in that many stories. Grindel Prime isn't in that many stories. The concept may have traction, but none of the individual characters have, have demonstrated anything near to that. And then a character that he invested much more time in as an individual, you know, the, the Kevin Matchstick, that's not even as popular as Grindel. So, you know, right. it's, 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 there's something to be said for collaboration and for uh, having a, a mechanism in place to expand the legend, you know, to not just leave it to be the one thing you decide it can be, but to allow it to go through that prism where it becomes something different to a whole bunch of different people. Um, I'm sure there are guys who like the Deadpool stories that are played completely straight. Yeah, there's not a lot of them, but I'm sure there, there are people who are into, really into that. It's like, that's th- those were the good Deadpool stories. These other ones where right. he's all goofy, I don't like those, but when he was really serious and really deadly, those are the, the good ones. I'm sure that guy's out there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure he is. I, I think that that uh, that kind of, like you said, like alchemy mm-hmm. is the thing. I think comic book and maybe even especially superhero comic book people because they're always kind of building and you know it's always like some kind of messed up Jenga where you're trying to take a piece out and put it on the top and elaborate and iterate uh, so I guess that, that uh, Herc what's his face <laughs> from the alien I already yeah. forgot his name like Mondo. that's the kind of thing Kirk Herc I did it now Herc Mondo <laughs> he's the guy who uh, like you'd think he's ripe for that kind of uh, reinterpretation iteration elaboration type of thing but you know that's what you know maybe not well it's like, like you're talking about honoring the Dark Horse books at Marvel and it's like well you know that's the obvious or you want to blow everybody's minds you want to do something really cool and interesting actually create continuity amongst all those series actually pay off and, and resolve a bunch of the stuff that was left lying around nobody ever picked up any of those pieces that the previous people laid down and, and took it anywhere some of the concepts maybe but not the individual characters not some of the different uh, scenarios that were laid out um, that were not exploited and that's one of the things that's so great about comic books there's always somebody in there it, it, but especially like Bronze Age books when you had the fans turn pros and so to them that stuff was canon that stuff was uh, scripture and so they were constantly going back and looking at what old people did and resolving Resolving the, the continuity errors and, and yeah. you know, no, there was never a character that was allowed to stay in the waste bin for long, especially at Marvel. And so what you do, if you're, so you take all this material that Dark Horse generated and you actually figure out, okay, well, this guy from this show and this guy from this book over here, you put them all together and you see how they play off each other and you have this reaction over here and stuff. That's, that's the thing you do. You don't just try to say, okay, well, let me do my little variation on the basic alien formula. It's like, well, no, build upon that stuff. But that's that, that's one of the things where as as human beings who have to live in this world comic books have gotten better by having things like creator rights and royalties and stuff like that but again the corporate machine comes in there and says well wait Joe Kelly's got a piece of faith well I guess we're not going to use faith because we don't want to pay him a dime you know for for using this yeah. 
character. So this character just isn't going to get used anymore. And there, there's always going to be a prohibition. Hey, uh, we bought the entire Ultraverse, but we've got problems with one of the guys who we would have to pay for uh, uh, rights to use in movies and stuff. So we're just not going to ever touch those characters again. And it doesn't matter if Steve Englehart never gets another royalty off of that or whatever. That's not our problem. It's not in our corporate interest to continue to use those characters when we have perfectly good characters that we own 100%. Uh, and can just give a thank you card to on the back of the movie credits, you know? Um, image, as much as I'm an image booster, the problem is, the, the, one of the things that supposedly was going to help save them was that they, they the image didn't know anything. It was the individual houses and there was no community pool. But that lack of community pool means you don't really have a shared universe there. And what you have is a bunch of disparate books with tenuous ties that can never really be elaborated upon. So if you don't like Eric Larson's Savage Dragon, well, guess what, buddy? You might as well give it up on that character because nobody's ever going to come in there and do a radical new, you know, anatomy lesson version of Savage Dragon. He's always going to be the thing that Eric Larson decided he is. You know, it takes a community to build a universe. It takes a community to have characters that have the kind of longevity that you see with Marvel and DC and the like. Um, There is evil that comes with that. There is sin. There is, uh, you know, people who are going to get screwed over or not given the proper credit. But if your focus is on the mythology, if your focus is on the lore, you need to have that, you know, different people coming in and out of that and contributing different things. And you have to have somebody mess up so that somebody else can figure out how to fix the mess up and come up with an interesting story out of that, you know? I mean, right. we were talking about Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock doesn't exist if Jack Kirby and Stan Lee didn't have this throwaway concept that got picked up by Roy Thomas and turned into Jesus Christ Superstar. And then Jim Starlin <laughs> says, oh, you know what I think about your Jesus Christ Superstar? He's he's the Antichrist. He's going to be the leader of the church that runs around and kills everybody and has crusades and does all the horrible stuff that they don't tell you about in seminary, you know? Um, Yeah. It's great when you have a singular artistic vision, but usually that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it may have longevity or it may not, but it's a finite thing. And it's one of the things we've seen with the the popularity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is people love when these different concepts interact with each other and where they evolve and and they want to see this expanding universe and they want to see all these things that are disparate come together and, and coalesce. And you can't do that if you're fiercely protective of your particular copyright on your particular set of characters. So, yeah. yeah. So as much as I want somebody like uh, Image to be as successful and viable as Spider-Man, as a for instance, they never can be because all, at the end of the day, it's going to be Todd McFarlane and his shitty collection of spawn alikes instead of having a <laughs> cool super team where you've got all the best characters from all over the Image universe coming together, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's what you get. Uh, it's an exception to the rule, obviously, but like you sometimes get like a Yusagi Yojimbo and the Ninja Turtles but that's not that was a fleeting you know what I mean like that happened and it happened more than once but it, it's not like the Turtles are in the new Yusagi books still you know what I mean it's a I thought Image was supposed to like they did it was probably years ago now already they were supposed to be focusing on a new super like trying to refocus on the superhero universe I think uh, I got way behind I only had read the first couple issues but that crossover book that mm-hmm. Donny Cates was supposed to be superhero-y uh, crossover stuff like I know it did have uh what's his face madman it was in it yeah he was in that yeah but uh I don't know how much more crossover it got than Doctor Strange but not really you know like a Doctor Strange analog is in there and stuff like that yeah I I've got the first volumes I think what it is I read the first volume I own the second one I think I was waiting for him to solicit a third because that's what I'll often do is like oh it's time to order a new one let me go ahead and read the one I've already got uh on a good month that happens as opposed to me either giving up or 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 continuing to buy something without knowing 
whether or not it's actually a thing I want to continue to support. But my recollection is that, like, the, the Doctor Strange analog you mentioned, that was a pre-existing character. And if I recall correctly, it was a, a Little Red Dark Horse series that was creator-owned. And they got to oh. all those characters for that book. So it's not like they just came up with an analog, threw it into crossover. It, they, they were pre-existing characters. It's just that if you weren't reading that one little cult title, then, like you said, you would just perceive that as being another Doctor Strange knockoff. And uh, it oh, only wow. has so much mileage because, again, they are analogs. It'd be way more interesting if they had somebody that you did recognize in there. The fact that you can do a crossover with characters nobody cares about, eh, that's only going to take you so far. That's like, you know, Malibu's Genesis line, you know? It's like, oh, right, yeah, they right. had that other line. But unless you're, like, super into the Centaur characters and uh, a revised version of the X-Mutants that didn't even have the characters from the X-Mutants books that Ron Lim drew, which is the only ones anybody cared about anyway, then what does it matter to you, you know? Right, right. It's like, yeah, it kind of reminds me of the uh, that comics greatest world mm-hmm. thing. Man, I, you're talking about those little omnibuses that the two times I biffed up and Diamond wouldn't let me fix it and I ordered a trade like it was a one shot, they were both those stupid little omnibuses. One was the comics greatest world omnibus mm-hmm. and I ended up having like, I thought it was a like a sampler one shot or something mm-hmm. and I got like 10 of them. And, but, you know, 10 one shots is not 10 freaking omnibuses. And then the other time I did it, it was uh, Knights of the Old Republic. I ordered it like it was the issue. Mm. And it was and, and it was like volume three of that oh, stupid tiny God. omnibus. And like, oh, you guys, can I return these? Like, I, you got to help me out here. And they're like, nope, bad for you. Like, I... I mean, it should have happened more often. I don't know why I didn't screw that up more. See, and and with my comic shops, we had a pretty thin, uh, uh, razor-thin profitability. So if if I'd have made that mistake myself, I I could have maybe closed the shop, you know? So thankfully, I I, I didn't. I I did have a few boo-boos, but usually it was dumb stuff. Like, uh, we were were using faxes back then. And so somebody misread my handwriting, and we ended up with a copy copy of Stuck Rubber Baby instead of whatever I was trying to order. So I was like, hey, buddy, uh, why don't I just give, I'll pay, I'll buy this from you if it cost, and then we can just call it a mulligan and be done with it. And that's how I ended up with the hard copy on my shelf. It was a good book. Glad it worked out that way. But thankfully, I, I didn't have any ones like that. I've occasionally gotten, and now it, it, since being a retailer, I've occasionally accidentally ended up with duplicates of volumes of a trade where it's like, what am I doing? What, what do I need with two copies of um, The Exterminators from Vertigo, for instance, a volume two or three whatever it was you know I can't. Oh, yeah, even, I don't yeah. even have a volume one that I give away to introduce it to somebody it's like a two or three and it's just like well it's just sitting on the shelf uh, reminding me of my boo-boo but uh, thankfully yeah. nothing, I, I didn't kill any shops with any of those and, and I didn't have any ones that were like 10, 10 20 copies of a trade paperback that's a lot of dang money so it was I, I don't envy you that I'm, I, 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 it would have been really bad for me personally and for people I work for if that had happened I'm really lucky and, and grateful and blessed that that didn't happen to us yeah i had to, i had to, the the dark the comics greatest world one was brutal I, yeah. I, I think we ended up even just i think we put them at the counter with a shelf talker for like a dollar mm-hmm. and nobody bought them and then we ended up putting them in free comic book day bags just like please take this right. you know away from me we, so we don't, don't want to pay the reminded. taxes on this thing okay yeah yeah it's, it's a disaster <laughs> and the, i do have that omnibus but i got it for like five bucks 
for less. You know, I was never willing to pay full price, especially because the problem with those books is everybody had the dollar versions. You know, so many people, yeah. or if they wanted them, you could easily get them for less than a dollar and they were only a dollar to begin with. So why do you need them in a trade paperback of diminished proportions, you know? Yeah, that's smaller. And the, I mean, they weren't, I didn't do a deep dive on them, but when they came out, I tried to, I actually was like, oh man, you know, Vignola did the cover to this machine comic and Paul Chadwick is doing something and Frank Miller did this X thing and Stephen Grant is writing it. How, how bad could it be? And it just didn't seem like it that, was. Yeah, it wasn't very good. I bought them all. I bought them all because I like Price Point. I like the concept. I, I wanted to support it. But the main problem was they kept telling me that people were going to be involved in the way that they were not. Uh, Jim O'Barr was supposed to draw one of the books. That didn't happen. I thought Frank Miller at one point was going to write one of the books. That didn't happen. Um, I, there was a number of guys, a number of creators that were notable that were supposed to do volumes and didn't. And even with the ones I did like, like Paul Galassi did the first Barbed Wire comic book, but he he did it without using any zip tones and he did it in a style that was sort of a, a lighter version. Like, you know how uh, Keith Giffen will sometimes draw in like the sort of like animated style where it, which just not as detailed as his normal stuff. Sort yeah, of like I think the, it's like the line weight is is not variable. Right. What I know. It's like, it's almost like he's using a rapidograph or something that yeah. makes the line weight the same. And so that's the way those Galassi books, that one Galassi book looked. And of course, he only drew that one issue and, and no others, even though they did an ongoing series and stuff. So it's like, you know, I, I'm only going to get so much uh, uh, enjoyment out of a 16, not even a 16 page, because I think the entire book was 16 pages and they had like a page or two of connective tissue for that particular location stuff. And then like yeah. there was the origin sequence as well they had there that Lee Weeks was doing. So what, like 12 pages of Galassi artwork? Is, there's only so much I can get out of that, especially because she had that awful pink costume when she first appeared before they yeah. started getting her in the black leather. She's like, yeah, yeah. that's not great. But like somebody like X, X looks so freaking cool. I loved that design. And uh, Chris Warner was one of the better artists that worked on that stuff. So that first little taste was appealing and really cool. And then they proceeded to not ever do anything quite that good with the character again. Uh, I tried to read X a number of times and it just like they never could fully pay off the concept. Um, so and, and it just basically ended up being Punisher but punchy, you know? Right. right. Yeah, such a drag. Or like they Ghost. rebooted it lately. I mean, not lately, probably like 10 or 15 years ago. Right. But, uh, that was supposed to be uh, more more of a payoff on the original promise, but I didn't look at it. I actually bought the trade paperback. I think it's called Catalyst Comics that Joe Casey wrote. Uh, and, and uh, you know, nothing escaped that little miniseries that he did. So it's sort of like when Warren Ellis did New Universal, where it's like, okay, this is, here's the two volumes. This is all you're going to get. Um, but I, I've yet to get around to reading it. It's one of those things that I definitely want to read someday, which is why I own it. But uh, I haven't had anything compel me to do so as of yet. And I probably bought that trade a decade ago. Um, boy, time starts to fly the older you get, I swear. Um, yeah. But yeah, there, there oh. was some interest there. I wouldn't have paid cheapy prices for the omnibus. Um, but I, I know I'll eventually read them and I'll, I'll maybe see some, some spark of promise. But if it was anything really that good, people would be talking about it on podcasts and they'd be, you know, there'd be the revivals and stuff. It's like, it, it's, if it was anything that great, there would be some sort of a cult around it, but there's not. There's really, there, I've, ne- I, I've never met a Dark Horse Comics Greatest World super fan. <laughs> 
you know? I've yeah. never seen the cosplay, you know? I mean, maybe Ghost and Barbed Wire, but that's about it. So I, I don't think there's a lot there. I think I've got Ghost and Barbed Wire. Did Adam Hughes do the cover to Ghost? No, he did the actual interiors on that first Ghost uh, part of the, 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 the four-issue miniseries. He did the Ghost chapter in full. Oh, and did have have a Dave Dorman cover then? Is that who did those? No, covers? I think he did the. I think he did everything. He did think he did the covering of the interiors. Oh. It was just oh. the uh, little supplemental stuff that Lee Weeks did. That, but the rest of it was actually his interiors. Now the thing is, that's probably the only comic book that he produced that year. You know, right, but they, right, but they got yeah. their twelve to fourteen pages out of them at least. Yeah, that's. And then when they came, when the series came back, they had somebody like Matt Haley or somebody doing it. So somebody who was maybe not Adam Hughes, but good enough to where you could see that they were fulfilling the potential the promise that was in that one shot or four shot however you want to look at it and right. obviously Ghost had the longest run of any of those characters um, so again doing something right but uh, again at most a cult character and not a particularly strong devoted cult either yeah yeah I can't remember many of the other ones I think Jerry Ordway did Rebel that's what that one was just the cover, the cover on that one I don't think yeah. he did the interiors I want to say maybe Tim Hamilton or Bill Reinhold um, mm. which are bad people they're just they're not Jerry Ordway though right. plus that was not a great design that, that that was one of those guys that looks like he was generated for an RPG yeah <laughs> like like buy an, an RPG like you had to roll to get that like mm-hmm. you roll oh I got a two now he has to wear goggles ah, no now he's got to have a ponytail also <laughs> dang it ponytail and goggles you know that, all that stuff was I, I, I can't remember the year but that was like the end times right oh yeah they, they were all the meteors hitting the earth they're 1993 yeah. that's the year when everybody decided they were going to launch their brand new universes and boy I mean it sold great it, it, those had really good sales I think the price point helped them a lot I think there was a, a enthusiasm about the, a new universe coming out of Dark Horse and Dark Horse had their fans that were probably looking for something like that um, it, I, just the other day I was at Bedrock City and they had a whole bunch of Triumph books or Triumphant I think it was Triumphant uh, and a bunch of uh, Defiant oh. Defiant books were in there as well yeah and yeah, it's yeah. like you know it, 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 there was a time when the market could support all that stuff but it was very finite and uh, <laughs> the debris is still lining chibi boxes they were a dollar a piece in some pretty nice little bags and boards you know they were in really great shape I often see those books beat to hell uh, at conventions but uh, it was rare to see them in that good of a condition yet for some reason I didn't find myself uh, needing to buy any of those triumphant comics you know I just didn't quite make that you know I actually bought some continuity stuff because I'm still trying to cover some of that for one of the podcasts like uh, and I noticed that like the stuff you can find online they're not really great about having all the chapters of like Death Watch 2000 and Rise of Magic so it's like ah hell with it a dollar a piece I'm just going to go ahead and buy the thing just in case yeah. whichever ones I happen yeah. to need I uh, one of your podcasts sent me on a uh, down the rabbit hole on some of that continuity stuff and I ended up putting a bunch of it in my on my uh, not in my shopping cart but on my wish list on the Nostalgia Zone site and I'm like I'm going to put this on the list and then I'm going to go away for a couple of weeks and I'm going to come to my friggin' senses so I don't spend any right. money. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, uh, what do I owe you? Did you take them mode? <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't even buy it. Yeah, no. I mean, it's... if you love Neil Adams' artwork and you're just going to look at the pictures, you're set. You start reading that stuff and it, it's it's just like when Chris Sims had that series on the, what was it, Batman the Odyssey or whatever, where it's yeah, like, yeah. how many different insane concepts can you throw at the wall and not resolve any of your storylines and not have any of your storylines make sense and be competing with Jim Ballant for inanity in the in the comics. Oh, 
Um, yeah, they're they're mostly really really bad, and most of the fun is in enjoying how bad they are for as low a price as you can get away with. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, but I do have a weird devotion to Sam Marie, and I look forward to covering her on the next episode of that thing. And I, I that, really wanted the, the the Revengers to be cool. I really wanted to enjoy those guys, and they they pretty much suck. So it's you know, it's just not really. It's I, I'm going in there like priming myself, wanting to enjoy this. And the actual material just completely thwarts that that intent. Yeah, that's a bummer. I mean, I did. I think Earth Four was the only thing of that that I ever read. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And it was one of those like, hey, you know, I I've been around the block and I I see where this is coming from. At, at least I don't know where it was supposed to be going necessarily, but I mean, it just you know didn't land. First think, draft theater. Everything about Earth Four was first draft theater. It's like you you knew they didn't think about it any further than. Re, than creatively spelling the elements. You know, you've got a team called Earth 4 and one of the members is named Earth and he's not the leader. It's not, you know, Gladys Knight and the Pips. You know, it's just like, yeah. I'm, I'm Earth on the team called Earth. It's like, granite? You know, Rocky? Yeah, literally anything else. <laughs> Terra? You know, come on. Yeah. It's just a, But they wouldn't even take that tiny little baby step towards validity. You know, it's just like... Yeah. It, it, it's like it, it, again, it's like a child coming up with a concept and then starting to color it in with the crayons and and figuring out what was going to happen from page to page. But you've got a middle aged uh, legend involved in the production right. of these things. Um, and it's like you know he hired writers, and it's like, well, what writers are you hiring? The guys that cannot get work anywhere else anymore. The guys that DC decided were too fogeyish, and so you get to get the Elliot S. Maggins of the world, um, <laughs> and then you don't pay Elliot S. Magan or you can't produce enough material to keep him working so you get one of the freaking interns to write most of your books <laughs> yeah they, what are you expecting you know and it's so it kills me so much because again it's the whole image thing you're going to get the best litter or the best colorist I want it to be on the finest paper stock uh, characters eh you know okay designs sure I'm not going to develop them any you know they just have to punch and kick and swear it'll be fine you don't need to pay a writer you're going to get an intern you're going to get your high school buddy to write this you're putting yeah. all this money into everything else you trust me you can get a guy who's a professional he'll write proper dialogue for you he'll follow your plots he may not be great but you know get get marv wolfman he's got writer's block anyway he just tell him to write the dialogue he can probably manage that but no right. there's too much to ask of them for most of the time although you'll note that marv wolfman did write some of that stuff so probably that's exactly what was happening there well, they, i mean I, I think it was a comic buyer's guide like uh what was it called but i digressed like peter david's thing in there sure i think he had a, a column about uh Literally, you know, if you can, you know, if you've been through elementary school, you can write. And that's the the problem is nobody was making the distinction between I can print words and form a sentence and I can write a story. Like I can professionally construct a story, you know, because those guys would say, oh, I, and they were, if they were doing a Marvel method and they were convinced that that was all that they needed, you know, you, that's how you show up and that's how you get, you know, blood pool or whatever, you know, second iteration of image that was so gross. It's just a uh, blood pool was the new mutant of young blood good call yeah 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 extra bad mm-hmm. i that's I, another well, thing they, i had in they, my they, desk they were they they were the gamma fly or whatever it is they were the guys who were training to be the next generation of young blood but yeah that literally was a concept you know you weren't yeah, just they were two things together uh humorously it's like nope nope that was a book they did that that was yeah that was a legit no i can't the names of it was just talk about like not investing in the characters used i mean most of those not most a lot of those extreme characters were phoned in or half-baked and 
those were like quarter baked, maybe. You know, I think the one character's name was Seoul, like Korea, <laughs> and she was Korean. Surprise. And she, I don't even know. Well, or, uh, you know, X Mutants is maybe a little too highfalutin. Let's come out with the new men. Uh, I actually, uh, I was over at the source, not lately, probably two years ago, the way time works, but I found one of the, I think it's Eric, is it Eric Stevenson or Eric mm-hmm. Shanhauer? Eric, somebody. But, yeah, Eric Shanhauer is the one who does the Oz adaptations, um, where Eric Stevenson is the current publisher of Image Comics and got to start writing a lot of those terrible <laughs> Liefeld books. Yeah. Okay, that one. But Chris Sprouse did the art, mm-hmm. is why I bought it, because I was trying to, like, this had, I, I have a non zero interest in this and I'm going to look for it. And I looked for it and I never found it. And then I'm like, I want to actually deliberately seek it out. And I found one and it was a, you know, a dollar, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a, it wasn't terrible and it looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it was a, uh, it was worth a dollar. The, that, was the kind of the, that was kind of Eric Stevenson's thing is he wrote the Liefeld books that weren't terrible. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And, he, and he's done some stuff in recent years. that wasn't too bad, but it's like the, the bar was pretty low. So he, he, he was like, he was, he, I'm not offended by this comic book I'm reading, but I don't think there was a lot of like, well, the Eric Stevenson fan club is probably not heavily populated. He Like he did, you could tell he was making an effort to, you know, this, here is subtext, here is some foreshadowing. You know, he was doing the comic book things that you'd expect a comic book to do. And it was nice because, I mean, the other, I don't know if it's, a, it's not a strike file, is it? It's the thing, it's the first appearance of Dutch, whatever that one that is. That was probably strike file, I think. Yeah. Uh, because uh, that, that was the one, the, the uh, basically Avengers Spotlight, but with the Youngblood gear. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you like know, the, the, they just brought Dutch back. Yeah. That's why I saw that they were doing that. And then I was like, where's Dutch's first appearance? And then I looked and like, that's in the dollar bin at the store. So I ran over there, got it. And it was a thing where the, the Nick Fury guy, like on page one, he's bald and smoking a cigar. And then on page two, he's got a full head of hair and drinking a cup of coffee or something like that. It's just like the, the, uh, and in my head, I'm like, well, that's fine because they drew this first page in January and the second page in, you know, August and the first page was already sent away somewhere and they couldn't reference it. So that meant that story I was telling myself in my head about why that's so god awful. But the actual book, uh, not good. The, the new men was a watchman compared to that. <laughs> well, um, and that's one of those things too is we all like to take our shots at Rob Liefeld and I found myself in a weird position to defend him many a times even though I know he's done some sleazy stuff as well. Again, you mentioned that Brigade Kickstarter that never came through for instance. That's pretty pretty lame of him. Yeah. Um, but it always struck me as so cool that he let Chap Yape keep the rights to Dutch the hot new member of Team Youngblood, right? Yeah, and yeah, And because he sure. did that, then Dutch isn't caught up in that Andrew Rev stuff that swallowed up most of the rest of Youngblood. And now Dutch is back being written by Joe Casey in their 30th anniversary anthology um, because he's not imprisoned by whatever deal Liefeld cut that cost him his babies, you know? Right. Uh, I, I, I love would... I love that I, he escaped. I love, like, just like uh, Peter Cannon and Thunderbolt, I love that they couldn't right. take... <laughs> DC couldn't take him and absorb him into the cop the, the corporation because me Pete Morris who he's able to prove that he still had copyright on that character and that he's his estate is still out there doing stuff with that guy uh, over at Dynamite and stuff. I I, I love. Did you read any of that huh? Dynamite stuff? Did I've you read that Dynamite it, stuff? I've bought it. I haven't read it. So it's it's one of those things where 
I kept wanting, I, I managed to score most, if not all, of the Charlton run for dirt cheap at a convention. And I started reading them and I liked them okay. Really, I like P. Morrissey as an artist more than I like him as a, as a writer. And I'd actually wanted, at one point, I was wanting to do a video series where I was going to do like maybe a little limited, not really limited animation, but just like do the panels and show the panels and do little voices and stuff specifically for, for Peter Cannon Thunderbolt just because it would be so niche. And because the one uh, Charlton book I had as a kid that I, I, I had affection for was Thunderbolt. And of course, that never happened. I never have time for stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so uh, I bought the Dynamite stuff. It's Kieran uh, Gillen. It's probably yeah. going to be really cool. I'm sure it's going to be a little bit more Ozymandias than I, I really want. But uh, but but it sounded, you know, it, they put together like an oversized hardcover of it. So yeah. people must really like it. And now they've yeah. got, um, what is it, Jeff Harker or Fred Van Linty or somebody. They're doing a new series, series run of it right now. It's, uh, it's supposed to be closer to the original comics. Um, oh. And so whenever they inevitably collect that or if I catch a deal on the floppies, I'll end up checking that one out as well. Yeah, I would. I didn't know they were doing a second one. I have yeah. that uh, oversized hardcover of the, I think it's called The Watch. Mm. And it's a very, uh, the, the Kieran Gillen stuff. Mm. And it's pretty, It's. I mean, I think it's known that it's almost like a, uh, not like a diss, but it's like a retort maybe to Watchmen, uh-huh. the whole thing. And it's not, it's not as dense as Watchmen and right. it's not as uh, ornate or articulate as Watchmen, but it's, I, th- I still think it's really, it's very entertaining. That's, uh, that's piqued my interest some because um, that miniseries, if I remember correctly, came out not too long after the, all the before Watchmen junk. Yeah. So yeah. For that, that's, I'm curious about that more so now. I mean, I, I've always been curious, but I, I, you know, I love a good diss track, like you said. <laughs> so I was like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, you know, I think it to- is a diss track of that stuff, of the, of the re- before Watchmen or the return of Watchmen or the, you know, whatever, the button, mm-hmm. all that stuff. I think it, it does speak directly to that, mm-hmm. even more so than to the, uh, the Watchmen. So it's, well, I read it more than once. I really like it. I'm trying to reach a stopping point with the continuity stuff. I figure I need to do at least two more episodes just to kind of get through the, the core books before everything sort of crossing over with everything else constantly. Um, <laughs> but I'm already lining up in my mind stuff to, to follow up with, ideally of a smaller scale. And certainly Peter Cannon would be a, a candidate for that, even though, you know, it, it, with all the DC stuff, it's a little weird to, because uh, I'm trying to stick to independent characters. But yeah, to some degree, he is the ultimate uh, uh, refugee that he managed. You've got this whole little bitty universe of characters that got swallowed up by DC. And he's the one guy who managed to make it out alive. So yeah. there's, there's, some, there's something to that. Oh, you gotta, you gotta read it. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, not, you know, don't put it on top of pile or oh, anything, sure. but yeah. it's pretty great. Did you ever uh, read any of the uh, Eddie Campbell autobiographical stuff? Uh, is that the, uh, I want to say, I think I bought it. I think, I, I think it's one of the ones I got and put on the shelf. Uh, there's, I've got Baca. I can't see the full shelf from here, but I want, I, I might have, I might have. It's pretty, uh, it's not uh, essential, but it's, they kind of riff, they, they riff on these different genres, maybe in that uh, Peter Cannon Thunderbolt, the watch. Hmm. It's a, uh, it's very, I think you'd, you'd dig it. It's one of these things where like, I read it and I'm like, A, I like this. Mm-hmm. B, I probably count on my ears how many other people I know who would react to this like I am mm-hmm. reacting to it. You know, like I don't know how you... To get the references go. basically, to, to see yeah. what was actually being done there. Yeah, and it's hmm. it's it's good and I think it was successful. I yeah, mean, it I think had so been, too. It, I, think, but, I think it's one of those deals where, I mean, it's not like he's 
written for Dynamite very much, to my recollection. You know, I want to say maybe he did one of the 007 arcs or something, but he hasn't mm-hmm. dipped his toe into Dynamite too often. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe there was a reason why he, he went to them for that one little deal and then, you know, head right back over to Marvel. So well, I think it was a, uh, you know, it was an opportunity to kind of get that out of his system because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't, well, he should just, I'll let you read it and then we yeah. can. The, the one of the problems too is remember my, the other obstacle is I have to get through that other Dynamite Peter Cannon thing that they did. Uh, the one where they had, I think, uh, Alex Ross covers and uh, randos on the interiors. Oh, yeah. 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 And it was part of, was that part of their superpowers world? I, I think it no? tied into some degree. Yeah. Okay. That was a thing that it escaped me. Like I was in the store when it started coming out and I'm just like, I, I it should be right in my wheelhouse, you know, mm-hmm. like all these old guys, you know, the Del Dracula, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I'm so overexposed to comic book superheroes. That's the kind of stuff where I'm like, ha yes, this grotesque old thing. But so I should have been anyway, I should have been loving that, but I didn't even read it. Yeah. I, I'm in the exact same place as you, uh, on one of the comic reader resumes, I talked about how I'd gotten this one, you know, weird scholastic magazine where they had an article about the golden age heroes. And it was one of my first exposures to, you know, non DC, non Marvel type of stuff. Like, cause you, you look at the old, uh, uh, Jules Pfeiffer books and they, they kind of conflate classic man and Captain Marvel with Superman and Batman at a time before DC owned them all. Right. Or, or the right. common knowledge that DC owned them all. Um, and, but they were still at a certain level of, of um, accessibility and, and certainly they'd all been on TV shows and cartoons and stuff. So there was a, a familiarity there. Um, but then I read this article in this magazine where it's like the super, for me, super obscure guys uh, again, like the flame, and um, uh, I think maybe Mighty Samson was in the mix on that. Although that's not Golden Age, so probably not. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Hydro Man was in there, I think. A lot of the guys, the Centaur guys and Fox Features guys, and they they talked about it. And they, they mentioned some of the weird, dark stuff that happened in them, and they just seemed so peculiar to me and, and so fascinating to me. And that, that dark streak, that Depression-era mentality, that went into their creation was like, ooh, yeah. this is a little, this isn't as safe as Plastic Man. This is going to be something more edgy and interesting. And um, and I have read some of that stuff in the years since, in particular the stuff that Lou Fine did was like, ooh, wow, this is as good as anything anybody else is putting out in terms of the art. Um, so when they announced that that universe of, of public domain Golden Age characters with a, you know, a, what was it, three or four panel Alex Ross painting, I thought that was yeah. going to be like my new favorite thing. And it only took a few issues of reading that before I realized oh good god I forgot Alex Ross should not write uh, <laughs> you know yeah. one of the great painters uh, and, and I go back and forth because sometimes I just get really bored with this stuff and then sometimes I'm into it uh, sometimes it depends on the subject matter but also I think that sometimes he just has a, a, a fresher angler where other times it's like the same old stuff over and over again let's do the same shot let's keep it ominous and uh, let's keep it ominous and, and uh, like uh, uh, treat the heroes like they're deity and all this kind of stuff that he's always wanting to do. Um, yeah. But him drawing, all, painting all those characters, like, wow, wow, this is going to be awesome. And then you read it, it's like, this, the premise is so stupid and, and so easy <laughs> to pick apart. Why would I want to read a line of books about characters that got sucker punched by one loser superhero and not a single one of them managed to figure it out and free the other heroes or anything else? And it's just this one numb nut, you know, trapping them all in an urn one by one. I don't respect any <laughs> of these characters these are morons you know and and why would you want to the, to me the worst
worst thing you can do with a bunch of Golden Age characters and decide, okay, well, you know the period where they weren't getting published? They were in limbo, and now they're coming back exactly as they were 40, 50, 60, whatever the current point is years ago, to, to, to face a world that was unknown to them. It's like you've got an entire line of Captain Americas. And, yeah. you know, I, and I love Captain America, but if you've read Captain America comics, that's as much Captain America as you need in the world. You know, Captain America really pushes the, the, the edge of jumping the shark with all the longing for the good old days nonsense, you know? And it works yeah, for yeah. him, but you can't multiply that by 50. Uh, you know, there's there's only so many different ways you can react to a world not your own, you know? And, like, they were all doing that. Um, and, of course, they also were having to do it during the Bush administration, so all of a sudden it's all about the Iraq War and the Patriot Act. And it's like, I can see that working on a smaller scale, like something like the 12 that Straczynski did. But you're talking about dozens upon dozens of characters you're trying to do this stuff with and try to fit them into a certain, you know, political spectrum, a, a, mostly a, a dual duality. And it's like, they, these, they're, they're, there's just so much sameness here. And there's so much agenda here. And there's just so much lack of, uh, you know, real depth, you know, a, a variety. And there's so many more interesting things you could do. It's like, well, what were these guys doing when the Marvel heroes were doing this and the DC heroes were doing that? Well, what were these guys in the 50s? Because you don't have to have an excuse like, well, we were all just waiting for Superman to show up and we were just twiddling our thumbs until then. And, you know, the Senate <laughs> shut us down and we just didn't do anything for decades. And we let the Blackhawks save everybody instead. Um, you know, it, it, that's the kind of thing that falls apart real quick, especially when you've got a protracted timeline where all of a sudden it's 40, 50, 60 years of them, you know, knitting, you know? Right, um, right. So, yeah, so you go in there and you're like, okay, where were these people during the McCarthy era? Where were these guys during the Vietnam War? And you can almost do Watchmen, but maybe not so cynical. You know, maybe like, okay, well, this is the bad stuff and the good stuff and maybe have a more nuanced view instead of, you know, Alan Moore had his lefty politics, so he's showing how awful the fascist superhero premise is and stuff. Well, you could maybe do something different than that, but you could do something similar, but come up with a different perspective if you're an actual writer. Or you can shove everybody into an urn and spit them back out again yesterday and, and go from there. Uh. And they're all still dressed up like schmucks from, you know, uh, uh, the silent generation and stuff. It's like they're all dressed like circus strongmen again. Or worse yet, they're being refined. Now they're symbol glows because that's what we do here in the, the early aughts, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, it, it was just so completely bankrupt of creativity. And it's always that for, for a person who's always persecuting the, the Chromium era comics to have that same edgelord grimdark mentality for every stinking project. It, it's just so tedious, you know? And so it's like, that's why I've never, yeah. like I, I, I was really impressed with Alex Ross in the, the transition from Marvel to Kingdom Come. You know, I bought the books when they were coming out. I bought the limited edition hardcover. I, I bought the stupid overlong trading cards. You had to buy special six pockets for again. Yeah. Now. Jeez. Um, um, and I still have those. I, I, I sold the hardcover and I've, I, and now at this point, Kingdom Come is one of those books to where it's like referencing it. I judge you. Like, I think James Gunn just tweeted uh, an image from Kingdom Come and it's like, bitch, you better not. <laughs> No, you can't. And that's the same thing yeah. as putting John's Dark Knight too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, you gotta you gotta have the book before you can go off the book. That's this, why you this, can't have Frank Miller's Dark yeah. Knight in the first appearance of Batman in that new. I didn't see it, so I don't know. Yeah. About, no. No. Don't, I don't feel like don't. you can have the stupid Frank Miller old Batman fighting Superman when he first appears, right? Because that. Yeah. Basically. What's the point yeah. Of that? Yeah. Yeah. Basically, and, and that's it's one of those things that uh, you know uh, the the bit where the semi truck 
truck gets caught in the tunnel and nobody can figure out what to do and a child walks up and says, why don't you let the air out of the tires? You know? Yeah. That's, that's one of those deals where it's like any anybody could tell you why it's a bad idea to try to launch a shared cinematic universe with the Batman at the end of his career and Superman at the beginning of his career. And I know that there was the whole thing where they're going to do the nightmare and probably, you know, uh, fix a, fall, a horrific post-apocalyptic future and blah, blah, blah. It still doesn't change the fact that you've introduced Batman in his 50s and you've got Superman running around at the beginning of his career and you're trying to move a universe forward out of that. And then when you find out yeah. what the actual plan was, this whole Lancelot Guinevere thing where Batman was going to end up putting a baby in Lois Lane, it's like That's- this these things don't fit. And you shouldn't, like, the whole your whole thing is you are, are slavishly devoted to adaptations of stuff that's already been written. Quit trying to write because you don't, that's not the thing you do. You can do the cool right. visuals. You don't need to be writing and you especially don't need to be taking from folklore and shoving it into a thing that's already a modern American mythology. It's already been done, dude. We don't need you to do that. All that kind of stuff, we already did it for you. Just just adapt that. Um, yeah. But yeah, anybody could tell you that was a bad idea and they went along and let him do it anyway. Somebody should have said no. Especially because again, Zack Snyder is a guy who financially speaking has not been a very successful director, you know? Like most of his movies have not made a lot of money and they cost a lot of money. Uh, so yeah. why would you tr- give the universe over to somebody like that without a proven track record? And why would you make an entire universe so uh, specific to one perspective? Where, you know, with Marvel, there's a sameness to it, but it's not like the entire universe is dominated by Iron Man. There's a whole bunch of other people there doing a whole bunch of different things. And part of the fun is the conflict between them. But anyway, that's a whole tangent. The point yeah, being I mean, he- is... is, is uh, Kingdom Come is the cautionary tale. Dark Knight Returns is a cautionary tale. <clears throat> you can tell that story. You can even launch a universe with that story. But then you have to go, but this the, we this isn't where we progress from. This is the thing we're trying to avoid. Um, but that doesn't work if you've already set Batman up to be a guy who's going to die in the next few years. Or a guy who's not going to be able to continue to function in the next few years because you've got a 50-some-odd-year-old actor playing him and playing him to his current age, you know? Yeah. If you want to just pretend that Ben Affleck is 28, okay, fine. But if you're actually going to pay him as a 50 something year old this is the beginning of the universe guys you know this isn't this isn't rocket science make them younger yeah and, I mean, and especially don't have an old yeah. and a young when you want them to develop parallel to one another over a long period of time it's just basic stuff it's yeah it's gross I mean they better not I mean I, I, they can do whatever they want but mm. the kingdom come thing if that was like a, anywhere near the horizon like that could be their end game mm. and then trying to not get that you know like they could have kingdom come and then this is how we're gonna undo it or keep it from happening or whatever but i just the thing i really don't get is especially with dc is like you've got the authority you don't even have to you know if you want to make superman snap somebody's neck you can make him snap necks for a whole movie just it's apollo you know what i mean it's not superman or mr majestic you you got a spare yeah yeah mr majestic if you want to make some guys like you know who's space god whose powers are out of whack because i'm kind of space jesus there you go he's he's there mr majestic you know you can make a batman who uses a gun his name is midnighter you know it's just sitting there. Yeah. But, but see, that's the, the problem, though, is Apollo doesn't have a trademark. Apollo doesn't have a registered copyright next to his name, and, and he doesn't have T-shirts out there. He doesn't he doesn't have an iconography that you can smash and be the cool kid because you're the iconoclast. Uh, you're going to give us the cool, dark twist on the Man of Steel, you know? Um, that's That's been DC's problem forever, for ever since Marvel, because in the mid-50s and 60s, they were at the top of the world, and they thought they were untouchable and they thought they had everything right and they didn't progress with the times and they they got outflanked by Marvel and they've held themselves in contempt ever since. You've got these the, the crown jewels. You've got 
the biggest superheroes, all those recognizable superheroes, and you hate them, and you're constantly yeah. trying to figure out what's wrong with an IP that survived the better part of a century. You know, it, for for these concepts to survive constant attempts to deconstruct them and uh, uh, misconstrue their the intentions of the creators, and so you know flagrantly, and yet there's still something inherent in them. There's there's still an appeal that you cannot destroy, and also of course one of the the, the great uh, 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 success stories was Wonder Woman, uh, and that's yeah. by playing her pretty close to you know how she's uh, expected to be portrayed by actually playing up the heroism and playing her as something that contrasts against Superman and Batman by not being awful and hateful right. and contemptuous of the very concept of heroism. Um, so do more of that, and they did. They had Aquaman, and Aquaman was also incredibly successful. So it's like, okay, how about Superman then? If you can make Aquaman yeah. work, surely you can make Superman work. I haven't proved it yet, but it helps if you don't oh, walk into it with the assumption that uh, you know, like Peter Joel Silver, why is he gonna have? Why is he gonna look so gay? You know, why can't he just wear all black instead of the red and blue? Um, yeah. And, and it's like, well, that was a terrible idea. It's a good thing we didn't do that. Hey, Zack Snyder, how about you do the black and silver Superman and have that be him finally realizing his ultimate self in the black and silver? <sighs> And, and let's put him on a team where he's sitting next to a guy who wears a black and gray outfit. You know, it's like, look, yeah, they're two yeah. different guys. If they're the same guy, then what's the point? You know, shit, shit, shit. Sorry. Yeah. It's just, it's, uh, I think it was not very long after New 52 because I took a hard, a hard turn. It was actually talking about, you know, coming in the back door, gatekeepers and stuff. The reason I got into DC was because of Sandman. And then Morpheus. Yeah. And then it's Morpheus. And then I started to go, oh my gosh, look how this fits to all these other things and then i started to get into uh the golden age guys because you know wesley dodds mm-hmm. was on Mr. the jsa Peter, and, then I, and you mentioned matt wagner so probably that didn't hurt yeah that was a big part of it but then i started to get into Starman, and that was where it really hit the hit the gas and i in hindsight like i would hate this now and so i try not to be too critical of when it happens but like that issue i, I bought Starman. i think it was Starman eight and i only bought it because james robinson was going to be at motor city and i when i they announced the guest list i try to pick up something for everybody so i would have an excuse to go up there and uh and i bought it like oh man this is this is actually great you know so i went and i got the back issues and i went more in love with the dc golden age characters you know and i and I, the thing i liked about them and i think he even said this in an interview was you know you can have or maybe it was on like the aol message boards even it was something anyway he's someone asked him how come you have uh starman and black canary having an affair like isn't that corrupting the uh, integrity of these characters characters you know why would you do that type of thing and uh he said because you can't have superman and wonder woman have an affair mm-hmm. that's gross you know but you you can do that with starman and black canary it's okay and you know and then he went back and had his incontinuity reasons and his real world reasons mm-hmm. including they were published in the same book or whatever uh but I, I ended up even though i came into it through vertigo basically and then the golden age miniseries and then starman uh that's the kind of stuff where like i saw they're launching a new JSA and the, the roster is Power Girl, Icicle, uh, the the Mist's grandson, Jack Knight's son, all the, you know, a new, I don't even remember, like a Red Bee or something ridiculous. I'm like, these characters are all going to get shot or exploded in the first issue. I mm-hmm. guarantee it. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's what happens. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't, they all get killed. Like, why? 
what is this? Like, how, why everything have to be this kind of like, oh, there's a serial killer and isn't he edgy or, oh, isn't it so bleak? You know, like the only, the only Superman book probably of the past 20 years that I've been able to read and then go back to is All-Star Superman, you know, because I don't, I, I tried to read the new 52 Superman and I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, I don't think, which made me feel bad because I like Grant Morrison and I liked the concept, you know, but I just couldn't make it work. And it feels like all that DC stuff, the thing I had to tell myself is the way I understand those characters is obviously not the way that people who own them understand them and they're not mine, you know, so let them. So Superman murders people. That's good. Let them because I just don't, I don't have to give them money for that. I can just step back. I still have my Superman poster up, but you know, I, I just can't, it seems completely inaccessible. The whole, all of DC really, it just makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Stupid JSA. Well, and again, that I was in the same boat with new 52 is I was really excited about it at first. Well, not really excited about it. I was somewhat excited about it. Excited about the possibilities. But the two things dawned on me. One was that what I loved most about DC and what got me into them in the 90s was the continuity. It was the history. It was the fact that they were these guys yeah. around going back to the 1940s and even really before then. And you got this all these legacies, these generations of legacies. And I wanted to see that elaborated upon. I wanted to see it deepened. Uh, I wanted to see them decide, okay, well, guess what? Metamorpho was back in the 60s and the Sea Devils were back in the 50s and those were the guys from those time periods and we're not going to keep trying to bring these guys back and sell them to the audience in the 90s the 2000s what have you I want to see them just set those guys as period characters and tell period stories with them and that way we can continue to do our stuff as Superman and Batman and not feel like they're missing out or anything but instead they do the opposite of that where they eradicate all their history where they, they don't yeah. even have anything from the 1940s anymore and everything's going to be brand new and even then I was kind of into it because like okay cool I like Wildstorm I think there's a lot of cool Wildstorm concept. It would have been way better if they'd been bought by Marvel since so many of the concepts were knockoffs of DC characters like, I don't know, Mr. Majestic and Zealot and, you know, the, the Coda right. and all that kind of stuff. You know, Apollo and Midnighter make way more sense at Marvel except Marvel's going through a bankruptcy so they don't have the money to buy another comic book universe and there's no guarantee that wouldn't have ultraversed them. So great. Right. It's over at DC. So cool. So you, you, again, these are characters who have established ties to the 50s and 60s and so forth. So if you want to fill in your universe that way you can still do that uh, but you can also contrast these new darker characters against you know your modern characters you can you can essentially do uh, what's so funny about truth justice in the American way with the actual authority instead of just knockoffs of them yeah. uh, for instance um, but also I love the idea of okay you're going to integrate them into the DC universe and it, you know they're going to have an influence and we're going to see that play out and they just barely play with that a little bit and they completely abandon it so what's the point and the point yeah. is everybody's going to have a new costume and a new jumping on point and they're not going to do much else with it. <coughs> with Superman, I thought it was really cool when they had him fight Hellspawn. Hellspawn was in cartoons, Wild Wildcats cartoons in the, the 90s. This is a guy yeah. who had action figures. This is somebody who was was doing stuff parallel to what DC was doing in that same time period. So he brings something to the table. There are still people who were alive and reading comic books. They would have been a fan of his appearances who were now initially going to read Superman comics. But they, they only try that for a few months. Uh, somebody gets mad or somebody decides it's not working and then that character just doesn't appear ever again until they do more Wildstorm stuff where he's doing the same kind of stuff that that character did you know in the 90s so it's just a regurgitation where you could have had some like cool new remix well how does Superman's cosmology with Krypton and everything else respond to the Daemonites and stuff and it's like no it doesn't matter because we're never going to progress past a couple of appearances we're going to allude to some stuff we're never going to pay it off we're going to drop this entirely and then also mm. I think there's I seriously you know I've never had this confirmed but clearly there are some Wildstorm properties that 
come back over and over again. And there are others that are like they never existed. Like for some reason, we never see Wetworks again. Why? Somebody has to have participation. Somebody has to be making money off of that. And so you don't get to use those characters. Where you look at the authority, those were work made for hire properties created by Warren Ellis and company for the corporation that was Wildstorm. And therefore, Mm. DC owns that entirely now. They can do whatever the hell they want to with it. Same goes for Alan Moore and his Tomorrow Stories, the America's Best Comics characters. Oh, God. If they want to do stuff with them, they own them lock, stock, and barrel because Alan Moore is a terrible businessman. He might be brilliant at other stuff, awful at business, and so he doesn't know those characters, and so Tom Strong is going to be in some Fantasy Four knockoff or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but these other properties, you're never going to see again. You're never going to see them exploited again because I'm assuming Brandon Choi or somebody else has a piece of them. Will Sportacio has a piece of this. And so there's stuff that comes back and stuff that just doesn't. So, but you had a universe that already existed and it already had properties that it needed to perpetuate itself and you're not translating that with the other characters and you just keep half-ass regurgitating the material that you were doing in the late 90s and early 2000s without ever advancing that story beyond that point. Like, how many times can you go back to the authority and tell a vari- watered-down variation of something that uh, Warren Ellis or uh, Mark Miller did? You know, how many, how many yeah. times are you going to do that? And how much impact does it have? And are they even relevant anymore? You know, do we need these characters anymore if there's nothing left to say with them? If you've neutered them so completely that they're, they're, they don't have any impact anymore. So, I mean, what's the point? But since you mentioned, and that's what, that's what we needed with Project Superpowers, you needed a James Robinson instead of an Alex Ross. You know, get Alex Ross to paint the covers and let James Robinson do the actual writing, although I know he got tired of being the Golden Age guy after a while. Um, but since you like that stuff, you are reading Black Hammer, right? I've got uh, someone gifted me the first uh, Gargantuan Omnibus, mm-hmm. and then I picked up a couple of the one-shots just kind of here and there, like mm-hmm. the ones I knew weren't like the self-contained ones. And mm-hmm. it's fantastic, and I really, I really, really like that stuff. I mean, it, it seemed at the upfront anyway that it was uh, like a Justice League type of pastiche, maybe. But I, uh, I did love it. Well, I mean, it's it's literally like the James Robinson stuff. It's like it's it's it, Jeff Lemire is just like okay, I'm just going to do what James Robinson was doing. I mean, you literally have a mini series about Starman, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. like it, this is this is the thing that I like. Uh, another one, uh, did you read Jupiter Circle? Is that the Mark Miller? Thing? Yeah, yeah. I didn't because so, Mark Miller gives me the hives. Uh, given, but if you read Jupiter Circle, which is not the story that's taking place in modern times with Frank Whiteley artwork, it's Wilfredo Torres doing period material about the same kind of stuff that James Robinson was doing. So if you if you dug oh. that, then read Jupiter Circle and don't worry about the other Jupiter stuff. You know, all right. <laughs> so that, that, there are still people doing that type of material. You just gotta kind of root around to find it. But anybody who tells me they love that James Robinson material from the '90s, it's like, well, if you're not reading Black Hammer, at the least you're just doing yourself a disservice because that universe still exists somewhere. It's just ain't in DC. Yeah, and it it's, it uh, it almost. I mean, the only reason I was reading it because it, it's not DC. You know, I mean, like I mm-hmm. think I think I I can't even remember. I had a bunch of rules in my head that like we had to cross these thresholds before I give money to DC again. And I think we like I think I cleared all the hurdles. It, it was one of them was Dan DiDio had to not be there. Mm-hmm. One of them was something that, like I, because when my daughter was like five I think is when a lot of this like post new 52 grimdark nightmare stuff was happening like I want to just buy her a Wonder Woman comic can I buy can, where can I buy one and I, and I ended up going to the you know to the back issue bins and just buying the most beat up you know cheapest Wonder Woman just so she could have a Wonder Woman comic and mm-hmm. see it you know um, and I had all the other you know probably ridiculous criteria but I, I just never really went I think the last thing I bought I did buy the 
Sandman Overture, and I did buy Thunder World. Because, oh yeah, I, bought, I picked that one up too. They, I mean, it's easy when it's basically a one shot. So yeah, yeah, and I I thought that was cool, but I don't. They didn't make a Thunder World series. Mm-hmm. You know, they made more messed up, weird Shazam, whatever. So yeah, and it's kept, so funny because uh, I like James Robinson. Or sorry, uh, Jeff Johns as a writer pre New Fifty Two, and it really feels like he got Roy Thomas. You know, where he spent all these years developing something that they blew to pieces and he just never like Roy Thomas he's never fully recovered from that and it seems like now he's doing his little young all-stars you know yeah actually that is what that seems like that's pretty funny I mean it's sad but it's pretty funny that's (laughs) we laugh instead of crying but yeah yeah I mean I just don't I just don't know I mean I would way rather you know even the way the new comics are priced I'd much rather read a 20 year old aliens comic than a the new I don't even know if they're publishing Justice League right now. I don't think they are. Uh, Dark Graces. I want to say they've got something like you know. I mean, they, they, they've got like one shots of, of like they're because they're all yeah. supposed to be dead, right? And then yeah. they're really in the yeah. little funny worlds. So it's like the little secret worlds. I guess maybe they don't actually have a monthly right now until they relaunch inevitably in like March. So. Yeah, I just can't. I just all those guys. Even and what normally uh, I don't know. I mean, I probably what's the name of the guy Williamson writing the the new crisis yeah yeah he's gotta be but you know somewhere in between you and me in age because he's you know to bring back the great darkness from swamp thing <laughs> as the thing you're like who are you what are you doing there like and I can't I don't know what's more outrageous is that he did that or that I didn't care uh-huh. you know what I mean like oh there they're doing that let it let them go I think yeah, if they, uh, they Joshua Williamson is I've really enjoyed him as a writer uh in particular I liked his work on uh, birthright for for image and he apparently had a really well regarded run on the flash but for whatever reason just dark crisis is not connecting with audiences and it's not one of those deals like heroes in crisis where tom king has just gone overboard with the you know uh, psychobabble and 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 the, you know the continuity cruelty um it's just sort of like williamson is working on stuff that nobody cares about for a story that nobody cares about for what appears to be yet another quasi reboot of a universe that's been rebooted so many times that nobody can you know get it up for it anymore so I I don't think it's his fault I I think that there's some credit to be given to him just for not making people mad but not making people mad isn't very interesting either right that's that's true being inoffensive is not Mm -hmm. I mean I guess it I yeah I mean I don't want to be offensive like a lot of that DC stuff the thing you're talking about with the generations and in the 90s you know I came in through the vertigo but where I ended up was my favorite book and DC Hero that was you know an ongoing series was The Flash because and it was Wally West mm-hmm. you know and then talk about you know continuity cruelty mm-hmm. geez Louise <laughs> I don't know I read that Vision series Tom King did and I've enjoyed it a lot I'm like this guy's good and then the next thing I know he, he's on he's putting Watchmen and Batman and you're like why why would you do that like what <laughs> and then he does Heroes in Crisis which I again I didn't buy but I was at the point where I was still obsessively following you know I wasn't buying the books but I was still like what happened in in this new crisis and, I, and all that stuff with Wally West just like I that was when I you know I stopped buying it with Multiversity and then I stopped even reading about it online after the Heroes in Crisis because good lord how like, what do you what's well, the and, point and 
lot of that was Dan Didio, and that's why I agree with you. I couldn't come back. There are people that defend him because he was doing what he had to do to keep the company relevant, keep people working. He loves the characters. You got to break the toys to keep things interesting, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like they kept doing stuff with characters that I cared about over and over again. Um, And and it's like, well, this is obviously coming from somebody. So if Didio's got a grudge against Nightwing, then he's going to be threatened with death, dismemberment, radical alterations again and again and again because Didio's keeps telling people to try some different way of screwing with this character. Um, you, we're going to constantly rape and murder members of Justice League International for some reason, which continues to this day with the stupid Tom King Human Target uh, series, you know? It's like you've got oh, these attitudes that have to come from somewhere up top that just continue on through the DC Universe and, and you know, ripple across it and just alienate me repeatedly. It's like, how many times am I supposed to be turned off, uh, given something distasteful, and expect to go back and, and, and have another nibble, you know? Right, yeah. It's just, it's too much. Did you ever read the Peter Milligan Human Target? I, I skimmed it a little bit, but I never properly read it. I, I was doing that little project uh, with Siskoid's uh, podcast, The Who's Editing, and I kind of skimmed some of that for material, but I, I didn't sit down with it. Well, it, was, it was pretty cool when it was coming out. It was it was the first thing I, I think, I mean, it was the first thing I read where it, it uh, explicitly referenced 9-11 and not in like a... Not in like a Dr. Doom crying kind of way? Yeah, not in like a Doom crying or like one of these fetishized uh even though i was just looking at one of those the other day i was trying to figure out if i should put it in the to sell pile and it was i started to flump through it and i'm like oh this is actually not disgusting propaganda like i thought it was <laughs> but, but uh it was the you know he's impersonating all these different people he's taking their place and uh he starts to get kind of messed up about identity, it yeah yeah but at the, the end of the first issue the, the cliffhanger was uh he's you know he's rambling and he says something to the effect of uh i remember that day perfectly everybody remembers and you turn the page and it's a splash page of the Twin Towers and he goes it was the day that I died and then it, it's like the towers collapsing and you're like holy crap <laughs> that was all that, that seemed uh, pretty good and the, uh, the graphic novel was good all that stuff was good I think that he did a, a late 90s I think it was living in Atlanta they had Tim Bradstreet covers the first Vertigo book he did with Human Target and then uh, they were all pretty good he did a, the guys who were on uh, Catwoman after Darwin Cook were on Human Target can't remember who they are though I'd have to look it up but it was good and it was really it was you know very innovative uh, visual storytelling and Peter Milligan is not always a slam dunk but he's pretty good he's written some really great stuff he's uh his shade the changing man that was another one of these things where I started buying this vertigo book and I thought it was fantastic and then I like this is a Steve Ditko character it's like <laughs> you know crawling through the back issue bins and I you know every time I saw anything with shade in it I would buy it including Suicide Squad which you know it was hard to reconcile I was always looking for the real like is there an in-story reason for <laughs> <laughs> why these guys are so different but it didn't really matter but yeah he's great and I just that Tom King that's what he said the human I found out he was writing the human target I was like oh no oh no I just <laughs> well that and then the Just League International were going to be like his supporting characters in the series like well those are two yeah. things that go together yeah they're all dead is what I, you know and then that's that's where that's going to end like you know or they're all going to be you know mutilated or turned inside out or kill themselves well, and, or and it's a black label book so it's not even in continuity anyway so it's like 
whatever you know um some characters he's 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 just he's a concept breaker and some characters can uh be benefited from that and others just not and uh, you know justice league international fandom has been through enough already (laughs) you know leave them alone um don't kick them while they've been decades down and while and their concept is never coming back because of how thoroughly the earth has been salted on that material and just the simple fact that to this day there aren't a lot of actual good comedy writers in comic books um so yeah i i i knew pretty early on that the the look of that book and the creative team i could have definitely seen myself picking up a, a copy of that once it was done and then they did what they did and i will definitely never write that uh, i you know it, they they completely soured me on the, the the idea of fooling with that at all so sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i don't know i didn't hear a lot about that adam strange miniseries some people said good some not but um you know he's got the things he does well that people really like and then he's got a lot of stuff where he's just just again he's he's wally wooding i mean wally wally westing these people where yeah like and that's another guy who'd already been through so much and his fandom had already been through the ringer and it had all these false promises of how they were going to fix things like the flash rebirth and stuff and then it's like no 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 no. we, we don't need a flash after all we're going to mess, mess with this guy some more and now it's like yeah. oh no we're going to bring him back and bring him even more children it's like i, I don't think that's making it better <laughs> That's not. That's not helping. Him to come back, but the the Tom King, what, what he did in the Vision series, he did do that. Like I'm the breaker, but it's all it was all stuff that he built first. You know what I mean? And so yeah. it was almost like it. It didn't feel like you're. I mean, he wasn't messing with Adam Strange, and you could make the argument, you know, that I had to swallow with Adam Warlock. He's like, well, where's the Adam Warlock comic that you like? Is that coming? And I'm like, yeah, no. And so maybe Adam Strange is the same kind of thing. Maybe there's not the great untold Adam Strange, and maybe this is the all you're going to get out of it but still it just seems like it's it's reductive is that right i think that's right just you know you're not bringing anything to the table you're just taking away and i felt super bad i was like i but i kind of like tom king maybe this supergirl thing is going to be different because he keeps talking in all these interviews before it came out about how it's different how it's going to be great and it's going to be the spirit of supergirl and i would like to have a supergirl comic in the house for my kid to see but uh i'm uh, the bad part about not being on twitter is all those names are going away Dr. Ange, is he the guy who likes yeah, Supergirl so much? Yeah, and, and did not enjoy that book at all. Yeah, I was reading his blog about it, and I was like, oh man, there's I'm not going to give them my money. And I, maybe I just won't give them my money anymore, period. Maybe I'll just find stuff in the back issue bins or the, you know, whatever, half price books. Mm-hmm. I'll peel the quarter stickers off of them, and then that'll be that'll be where I get my DC stuff from. Yeah, well, it's just like me, you know, I I, I had my Martian Hunter blog all those years, and people are always like, oh, you got to check out this Martian Hunter series. What, what are they going to do? They, they're going to relaunch it from scratch again they're going to reveal that what we thought we knew about it was a lie again uh, they're yeah. going to take uh, concepts from earlier books and just give lip service to them by applying the names to a totally different character that's got nothing to do with the original concept and I'm supposed to be wowed by you know the, the, the legacy or the, the attention to detail of you know borrowing a name only and not actually following through on the concept at all um, and, and also the fact that these are always long series 8 plus issues and they never resonate they never have any lasting impact they might as well have never existed but oh this this one though this was the good one you ought to try this one over here and it's like you know yeah. no I probably shouldn't because you're, they're probably doing things that are going to just make me mad or disappoint me and I've been disappointed enough after all these years but you know to call me in like fairly recently they did that arc in Action Comics where they brought back all these old Silver Age concepts and at first I was like oh that's really cool until they failed to do anything remotely interesting with them and then I realized by burning through them all in rapid succession in like a six page you know strip that they 
they're all they're really doing is uh, um, rendering all these characters uh, useless because none of them can put up the slightest fight against the guy they're supposed to be going up against, and they're not being in you know twisted in a way that's interesting. It's basically just like a very mild update, but they still come off as a bunch of putzes who can't <laughs> do are ineffective and are kind of corny. And it's like okay, so you're just letting me know that you don't actually care about these characters. You're not going to do anything substantial with them, but I'm supposed to get giddy because hey, look, that person turned up for a couple panels you know no I, okay if you're not gonna do anything with him don't just leave it alone right. you know at least leave, leave me with the idea that somebody someday might do something cool with these guys just you know trying to uh give me some little element of nostalgia to sell me on a undercooked story uh, that's you know great i've uh manner has got a hush now manner has got a who is wonder woman now hurrah you know that's not right <laughs> whatever does he really have a hush is that yeah he's, he's got his little baby hush there was a backup strip in action comics where it's like him going up against all the people that he fought back in the 1960s and whooping them in a few panels apiece all to set up a new version of Vulture and Faceless who was also pretty swiftly defeated so it's like okay well you're basically telling me that his entire established rogues gallon is a bunch of chumps Uh, so cool okay great yeah you're not even gonna let human flame fire jets out of his nipples anymore well what's the fun in that (laughs) between the pages blog canoes Charlton Hero, Chris Dunford, Chris Lydon, Dear Watchers, a Comics Omniverse podcast, Ed Moore, Gregory Litchfield, The Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, Hawkoff, Iowa's Joe Is, It's Plastic Man, Jeffrey Brown They Them, King Dinosaur, Mikeet Send Aliens to Me, Randy Caldwell, Resurrections, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Scott X. I will take a Pepsi Max while you're over there. Hey, hey, give me a Pepsi Max. You're right there, dude. You're 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 gonna have to pay for that Coke with with some labor. It ain't terribly laborious.